I don't know. To, to me, the flip's not that hard. I think flips are overrated. I mean, you know, you when you were when you were cleaning your room when you were a kid, you had to throw socks into the laundry <laughs> basket. Uh-huh. You could do some pretty incredible things. Good morning, and welcome to episode two thirty of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I am Ben Lindbergh, joined by Sam Miller. How was your weekend? Um, it was okay, except for that Victor Martinez book, <laughs> which bumped me out. We just had a, a 10-minute conversation about whether Victor Martinez's flip from Sunday night was impressive or not. Uh, I maintain that it was fairly impressive. Sam's not impressed. Um, what is... Oh, I have, I have a couple quick updates before we get to our topics. Uh, one is that Munenori Kawasaki had a home run. On Friday night, as many people notified me on Twitter, that was very exciting. wasn't 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 barely over the wall either. Got over by a little bit, uh, so that was that was good. Now we we know for sure that he can do that. Um, mm-hmm. And I guess I'm. So I that, guess I. That makes you. That makes me not want to see him in the derby right. anymore. I, I would still want to see him, but I I'm less eager to see him. Yeah. Uh, and then, so who now? Who take? Uh, is it Ben Revere? Ben Revere? Yeah, still? Ben Revere was a candidate for my original. So I guess he'll JB just sort of like one Pierre or something. I don't no, no JB Shuck for you. Um, maybe. I didn't convince you with my stirring <laughs> piece about JB Shuck and Reggie Willis. <laughs> I, I liked it. Maybe, maybe he's a candidate. Uh, and then uh, the other update is: Did you see the the Diamondbacks' new post game celebration for walk offs? Uh oh. No. It is. It's not liquid based. It is. Uh, it's a bucket of bubble gum that they. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Not just just uh, wrapped up. Yeah, wrapped the, up. The just one of those like you see sitting in the dugout. Just a huge huh. double bubble container with many pieces of double bubble in it. And oh, Ben, I've and... just thought of the best. I've thought of the best one. Okay. Uh, two. Two fifty-gallon bins of grass shavings, <laughs> of like of like lawnmower clippings, you know, like when they mow the lawn before the game. Mm-hmm. Save it, <laughs> save it. That's I, so good, Ben. It, they would get rashes. Those people would get rashes from all that grass on them. I like the cut grass smell. That's one of my favorites. Um, mm-hmm. The gum one, I'm not, I'm not that into. I like the idea the, of having a sort of a thing that that mimics liquid. Visually, is it's not, not very impressive. I guess the, no, the cleanup need, is well. The buckets are small. Cleanup is easier. Yeah, the buckets aren't big. It's just it's a very brief shower of pieces of gum, and then it's over. There's... How about a sack of uh, of chicken feet? <laughs> yeah, I, I like. Yeah, I, I guess I like the idea of moving to a solid, um, but I don't know about the bubble gum. It's, yeah, like a solid that has some some of the pourability of a. Of yeah, a so kind of amorphous solid. Um, thank you to everyone who rated and reviewed us over the weekend. Quite a few of you actually did after my plea on Friday. Uh, so thanks for that. I think my favorite re- sprinklers, Ben sprinklers. sprinklers, get the grounds crew to turn on the sprinklers <laughs> and there's no escape. Yeah, that's true. Um, my favorite review said that the podcast is better than a pink starburst. Oh, praise. Wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That is a very solid compliment. Yeah. I thank that person. That's yeah, great. That's really nice. Um, okay, what is your topic? Uh, strikeouts to walks. Okay. Um, mine is, I guess, a philosophical question about run environment. Hmm, okay. Why don't I go okay. first? 
So as we are discussing this, um, oh, Nick uh, Tepish, Tepish mm-hmm. uh, has just lost his no-hitter uh-huh. um, against the Cardinals. And I was uh, watching the 0-0 game and actually find the interesting line to be on the other side. Adam Wainwright has five strikeouts and no walks. And Adam Wainwright currently, for the season, has 105 strikeouts and nine walks. Yes. Uh, which is absurd. It is. It's the it is on pace to be the the best season ever for a starter. But that's not where I want to go with this. Um, we've talked about the increase in strikeouts uh, on this show. I don't think we've talked about though that this seems to be the era of the strikeout to walk ratio. And this year in particular um, has absolutely gone completely off the deep end. Um, and I'm going to just I'm going to regale you with fun facts now mm-hmm. if you have a minute. Okay. Uh, okay, so Joe Blanton's last nine starts, 60 strikeouts, four unintentional walks. So mm-hmm. 15 to 1 ratio. Uh, Aaron Harang, who is terrible, 59 strikeouts, 11 walks. Dan Heron, five strikeouts per walk, ERA of 6.1. Yes. Uh, he is almost two runs higher. His ERA is almost two runs higher than the next worst ERA ever by a pitcher with a 5 to 1 ratio. Edward Mujica, mm-hmm. 27 to 1. Uh, Michael Roth of the Angels, 14 strikeouts, three walks, ERA of nine. Um, the top, uh, let's see, uh, the, uh, well, okay, so those are all, okay, okay, so uh, one more from this here. Of the top 150 strikeout to walk ratio seasons of all time, 23 of them are this year. One in, uh, one in uh, you know, one in six mm-hmm. is this year. Uh, 46 of them from the past four seasons, so a third. Um, and going back a few more years for a little bit more context, the highest career rate of anybody who retired before 2007 is Rick Reed at 3.41. Mm. That is, again, that's the record mm-hmm. through 2007. That's the all-time record. Lower than the Tigers this year <laughs> as a team. Um, the top seven career rates in history are all currently active. Um, and the only, well, and... Uh, yeah. So, okay. So I'm going to basically, that's where I'm going to stop. Uh, Tom Lane, I'll do one more because Tom Lane, as you know, is a favorite of yes. mine. Tom Lane, 29 strikeouts, three walks in his career. Tom Lane, most notable for being 28, a rookie, and having virtually nothing to speak to him except for his strikeout to walk ratio. He did not even start the season in the Padres bullpen, uh, despite last year having some. What did I, I forget what I wrote. He had like the be, the second best FIP in baseball. Yeah, and he was and he was mediocre again in the minors this year, right? Before he was called up. <laughs> was I think he? I so. Didn't even notice that. He just not so great so, in AAA, but yeah. So there's two stories here. One is that the the best strikeout to walk ratio guys like Adam Wainwright are doing things that have never been done. The other is that uh, that there are are uh, this extraordinary number of players who are able to do strikeout to walk ratios like never before while still being terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, Blanton, Harang, Heron. and Heron being the best examples, um, and uh, it's it's interesting. And so I, I just I bring it up because there's uh, when 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 people start talking about the strikeout rates in baseball, uh, it often becomes a sort of a an aesthetic debate between people who, who like it and or who, who just say it's natural and it's where it's going and people who think that it, it makes the game boring and that it's a threat to the game and that um, 
that it, it might be too extreme. Even people who are kind of in the middle are saying it might be too extreme. It might be kind of a threat to the enjoyability of the game. Nobody's really talking about this part, uh, which is, I guess, we, I guess we would call it the FIP era. Um, and yet, uh, it's it's arguably as extreme. Um, it's a combination where we have by far the highest strikeout rates in history, and right now we're seeing the lowest walk rate in the majors since 1968, mm. and uh, only four years in history since the dead ball era have a lower walk rate than this, and they were all in the sort of 60s dead ball era, 63, 64, 66, 68. So essentially eliminating the, uh, the high mound era, there's never been a walk rate this low or a strikeout rate this low. Um, and unlike the strikeout revolution or whatever you want to call it, uh, there isn't really an aesthetic argument against walks. I mean, nobody likes walks for the most part. Um, stat heads like players who walk, uh, and they like you know taking advantage of the walk and not you know not undervaluing undervaluing it. But you know, walks aren't interesting. They're they're virtually always kind of boring. They take a long time, uh, and you know they're a slow way to watch offense develop. I, I um, and some so, enjoyment out of watching a really disciplined hitter who just won't won't swing at a pitch outside the strike zone and takes a walk. That's different. Maybe after. No, that's yeah. That's different though. You like to see the skill of a player who controls the strike zone. Yeah. But I mean, if the I mean, like if if a team's offense comes primarily from walks, don't you? I don't enjoy actually seeing him walk down to first base. <laughs> Enjoy what the lead up to that. I guess, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I don't. Really, I don't really know how to answer that. This is a. We're getting into strangely subjective territory. But uh, I don't think anybody is really arguing that the lack of walks is a threat to baseball no. or baseball's entertainment value. Is that fair? Yes. Is that a fair mm-hmm. thing to say? Um, so uh, I guess my question for you is, why do you think it is that all of a sudden? bad pitchers are able to do this in such an extreme way without actually getting better. Um, and do you think that it needs to do, I mean, are we getting to a point where we have to seriously reconsider the, the predictive value of FIP? Um, if it's sort of so easily manipulated by guys who are just completely intent. I mean, I, I guess it's weird to me that Blanton can both, strike out more batters, walk fewer batters, and still get worse? I mean, you would think that there would be a correlation between your ability to get guys out and your ability to strike guys out and your ability to avoid walks, and yet those two things seem to almost exist. And if you want them to, they seem to exist in this completely separate part of the field, and you can like go you know, pick those off without actually you know, being any better at the other parts of pitching. It it's very odd. It's feeling very odd. These guys that we're talking about are struggling primarily because they're giving up a ton of home runs, right? Or at least, I mean, Heron is, Blanton is. Uh, they're yeah, giving right. up like home runs, two home runs per home nine runs innings or something. Home runs and hits, yeah. Um, so, Wainwright just struck out another. <laughs> so I don't know whether... I don't know. I mean, I mean, I haven't looked at the stats to see if pitchers are, are actually throwing more pitches inside the strike zone than they were a few years ago i i assume that they are um i guess because there's 
I don't know. I mean, there's certainly a, a perception that there's there's less power and guys can kind of pound the zone more and not be as afraid of the consequences. And if you do that, then you'll maybe end up with more, I mean, certainly fewer walks and maybe more strikeouts. Because I, I think the rise... I think the rise is in called strikeouts, isn't it? I think primarily, um, at least the last time I checked, I think that made up a big part of the gain was called strikeouts. So you'd you'd expect to see. I mean, if pitchers are are throwing more pitches inside the strike zone, you'd expect to see all of those things. I guess more strikeouts and fewer walks and more home runs and and more hits, presumably. So I, I is the is I mean, the league BABIP is not higher, though. No. Well, it's higher than... I think it's higher than it was at certain points in history, yeah, but right. it has not gone... It's It's gone... It's, it's held basically steady for the last, you know, few years. Yeah. Um, I mean, scoring is, is down, so it's whatever they're doing is working to some extent, right? I mean, it's not completely not translating to to better run prevention. Um, so, I mean, the, the higher strikeout-to-walk ratios are are in some way still correlated or still associated with with preventing runs, right? Yeah. It's not completely yeah. divorced from it. No, no, you're right. I mean, it, it's definitely a... It's still... I think it still remains, generally speaking, the, you know, the key to pitching, mm-hmm. right? That, that ratio... I would say that that ratio still tells you more than any other single... You know, single factor. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you could you could put more data and be better. But if you had, if you basically had one number that you could, um, that that you could you know choose from the back of a baseball card, you would probably those are the first things you look at: is strikeouts, walks, innings, and you would sense, you would intuit from that whether they were, you know, whether they were good or not. And I think you would mostly do a good job. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I, I I don't know. I mean, if it, it seems like uh, and this might be like what we were talking about with, um, with the slash, the lines. slash yes. lines, where this is a this is basically a stat that I did not look at until 12 years ago. These are these are numbers I didn't look at. I mean, I knew if a guy struck out a lot of batters, um, but and I knew if a guy walked a lot of batters, but I didn't really use. And then and then you know 2003 comes along, and for like six years that was the primary thing I would look at, the first thing I would look at for a pitcher's performance. And so it might just be that um, it's it's like you know, scale shock mm-hmm. where I don't, I don't quite know how to adjust, uh, for a different scale. Um, I was thinking about this with Zach Granke though, because Granke is a guy who, um, who's, you know, he signed this huge contract and, and Tim Marchman put it very well. I, I believe when the Dodgers signed the contract, he, he said something like the Dodgers just saw, you know, gave $150 million to a guy based on, you know, you know a theory. Um, and that theory is that, FIP is more predictive than ERA and that Zach Granke's excellent FIPs of the previous few years. I'm probably badly misstating what <laughs> Tim Marchman said, um, so I, I apologize. Whatever he said was smart. Um, but uh, whereas Granke had been a, an extremely average pitcher for the previous three years by runs. And uh, so that was kind of the gist of the transaction analysis. And so Tim, uh, Tim, Zach Granke's ERA at the moment is exactly what it was for the previous three mm-hmm. years, um, and obviously that's that doesn't mean anything. That could be confirmation bias. It's still early in the season, um, but 
it makes you wonder whether uh, there's this, um, I don't know whether there's a, a kind of a, a correction coming in the way we evaluate pitchers, but that some of the more stat friendly teams that are, you know, that have, that have uh, embraced FIP mm-hmm. wisely uh, are going to be exposed on some of these guys. Um, and, you know, FIP is a big deal for, well, strikeout and walk ratios are a big deal for Jerry DePoto. And, uh, you know, he got stuck with Tommy Hansen and Joe Blanton uh, this year. So uh, I don't, it's way too early to say that that's true, but you wonder whether it's going to be, I, I guess I kind of wonder if maybe in three years, there's going to be so many exceptions to the, um, to FIP evaluation, like maybe, maybe 15 or 20% of pitchers were just going to consider unevaluatable by FIP mm. that, that it basically becomes really hard to use FIP without getting all these false positives. Hmm. Yeah, I would have to think about that more. Because um, there's, I mean, there's a there's a league constant to it, right? That changes from season to season. Would that? Yeah, there is. I, I have. I I don't have any idea what the constant represents. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would. I don't know. I would have to think about that. Um, but it, you're right about the definitely having to adjust my my gauge of what is good. Uh, that seems to, to definitely have changed. Um, I guess my topic is sort of related to yours. Um, it was inspired by a, a couple recent stories about the run environment in non-major league leagues. Uh Japanese professional baseball and NCAA college baseball, um, and in both of those in both of those games, uh, there's been a, a major adjustment in the run environment just in the last couple of years, and it kind of has has completely yo-yoed where it was believed to be too far to one end of the spectrum a few years ago, and then there was an adjustment made, and now it's have we gone too far and have we adjusted it too much? Um, so the, the Japanese story, uh, that was this kind of weird scandal where they, they changed to a, a livelier ball, uh, but the commissioner didn't admit it and said he wasn't aware of it. And it, it's just kind of a weird story, but, um, so I'll just read from this time story. Uh, the, uh, Okay, so the league secretly made its official ball livelier during the offseason, essentially because the previous version introduced in 2011 led to an alarming drop in home runs. The new ball worked only too well. Check swing hits have flown out of parks, and formerly light-hitting batters are having career seasons. Through mid-June, home runs had jumped more than 40%. Uh, and so the increase didn't go unnoticed. The players' union argued that pitchers could be hurt because they signed contracts based on their previous year's stats, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and the story in, in college baseball is sort of similar, uh, where now offense is way down. So I, I guess it's it's kind of the, the opposite story. Um, but it's... Uh, so since the height of the so-called Gorilla Ball era in 1998, when Louisiana State crushed eight home runs in its College World Series opener, and Southern California and Arizona State combined for eight in the final, the NCAA placed multiple restrictions on aluminum bats, 
It reduced barrel size, banned composite bats, and adopted a new standard to address concerns about pitcher safety, out-of-control scoring, and lengthy game times. College teams averaged 6.98 runs and .94 home runs a game in 2010 before the new standard was adopted. Um, And as of March 31st of this season, that had dropped to five and a quarter runs and .37 homers. Uh, So that's like a third as many home runs being hit. .37 homers per team or or per game? Uh, Per it says it says a game. College. College teams average 6.98. So I think it's per ah, team per okay. game. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And teams are averaging twice as many sacrifices as home runs. Team batting fell to 270, which, if it stands, will be the lowest since 1973, the last year Collegian swung wooden bats. Uh, and apparently this, this year's College World Series has been a, a bunting extravaganza. Uh, 12 games through Friday night with 21 sacrifices and three home runs. So... Uh, I'm wondering whether, whether it has to be this way where we overcorrect to one run environment and swing all the way back to the other end of the spectrum and then decide that that's too extreme and go back too much. Do you think that, um, I guess I have like three questions. Is there in major league baseball, is there an era that you would pick that you would want, uh, if, if baseball were always going to be the same run environment, is there a particular one that you would want? And is there a particular one that you think would appeal to the most people, uh, not just you, but all fans? And then I guess the final question is, would you even want to pick one? Or do you think we need the, the variety and the kind of just going from one extreme to another to keep things interesting? Hmm. Um, those are good questions. Uh, I, uh, I really like the run environment that we have right now. Uh, yeah, I was going to say that too. It, it feels it's like really a good, hard to talk. good middle ground right now. Yeah. And I feel like it's producing really interesting stat lines, um, on both sides. It, it's, yeah, it's fun. I mean, I, uh, you know, we've, we've mentioned and, and I expected we might mention it during my topic, but we didn't, that my fear whenever pitching, you know, whenever people talk about strikeouts is just, does it get to the point where a two run lead in the third inning feels insurmountable? Mm-hmm. Does it become soccer? And we're not near that. And I feel like, uh, personally fewer runs per game is generally better as long as you don't get to that point. And it's not anywhere near that point. I mean, I watched a team come back from six, three in the ninth today and then score four in the 10th and then give up three in the bottom of the tenth, and so you know there's clearly a lot of a lot of uh, in-game fluctuation, and uh, and you know I, I personally really like the aesthetic of the game right now. I'm I'm a huge fan of strikeouts, mm-hmm. and I think that right now we're in a place where uh, I personally think that defense is better than it's ever been, and you don't quite see that because. Uh, uh, batters are hitting the ball harder than they ever have and so the BABIP has kind of nicely stayed just about where it always mm-hmm. is um, and yet you see more I think you see more good plays and more great plays than you ever did before uh, and uh, I personally am not a huge fan of um, the home run and so I don't miss some of the home runs that that were happening but you know there still are plenty of home runs and you do still feel like any player in the lineup could homer at any given point. If, if a guy is the tying run, 
he still represents something because every player in the league, Ben Revere excluded, can hit a home run. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's hard for me to talk where we are right so now. So do you, uh, and I don't do you know. think that that's a, a widely held opinion? It's kind of hard for me to tell because whenever there is some sort of shift, there are a million articles written about how things have changed. Uh, and they're not necessarily saying that it's better or worse, but... I mean, there. How many articles have been written about the year of the pitcher a couple of years ago, and and now scoring is down even more, and strikeouts are up, and it seems like every week there's some new feature somewhere on how strikeouts are up. I can't really tell whether that's something that just interests baseball writers, or whether that's something that you know your average fan is really even aware of, or or, or cares much about. I can't I can't tell whether whether a wide cross-section of fans are, are content with the way things are now or whether, you know, whether all the kind of attention that's been drawn to it is just a reaction to the fact that it's different but not necessarily worse. What do you... Yeah, I think that, I think, like, 98% of this stuff is just column columnists yes. in need of a column. I mean, certainly a huge, a huge number of the pieces that I write uh, are of no of no interest to the common fan, and I just have to pray that I can write it in an interesting enough way that it will be of interest to them by the end. Um, so, I I think that until things get extreme, that they're not that big a deal. Now, did things get extreme? Uh, well, certainly, I think Colorado was extreme mm-hmm. in a way that made it unenjoyable, and I think that there were uh, at least. 15 National League teams whose fans hated Colorado in baseball, and maybe 16. I, I don't know how Coloradans felt about it, but that park was it was out of control. It was horrible, and, and I think that if you had a league that resembled that, um, it would be a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably, uh, it's hard to know if the offense of 2000 was a problem before all the the morals the, mm-hmm. you know the moral grandstanding began uh i honestly re- i think i recall i think i was probably more uh you know i think i, I think I, I was a a bit more sympathetic to the idea that that baseball had was too offensive at that point and i as i recall i think that that was a fairly well held mm-hmm. uh opinion and i think part of the reason is that you have, I mean, baseball is nicely divided between pitchers and hitters. I mean, half the roster is pitchers. They're, you think about, you know, you think about these two guys who don't really overlap much, and it felt unfair for pitchers. And um, it, uh, you know, I think it probably, uh, you know, you 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 have more base runners, you have more uh, innings being pitched, you have more injuries happening, you see a lower grade of pitcher, and it's really annoying to have this kind of endless stream of anonymous relievers coming in and just pouring gas on every lead. Mm-hmm. I think that I think that probably uh, there was a point where it was too much. So if I had to pick a year, uh, I think that 93 was a really nice year mm-hmm. for offensive context, uh, run scoring environment. Um, it was kind of the year that things started to blow up, and so a lot of the stat lines were really novel 
And, um, you know, other than maybe that blip of 87, you'd never really, in our lifetimes, you'd never really seen some of these guys put up numbers like Piazza's rookie year and and things like that. Mm -hmm. But it was not a big home run year yet. Uh, In fact, home runs were quite a bit less than they are this year. It was a big stolen base year. Uh, And it was just, I think it was a year where a a lot of balls were put in play. I'm not seeing it right now, but my guess is that Babips were fairly high. And you saw a fairly exciting way of runs being scored in most innings 4.6 runs a game which is uh, compared to 4.2 this year but compared to 5.1 mm-hmm. in 2001 so it splits the difference nicely it's where it was in 2009 uh, per game so uh 93 i think was a solid year that might be the the year that the public would uh most uh be drawn to and no, I don't think that consistency is a is a virtue. I I like the fluctuations. I agree. Uh, mm-hmm. And I I think that baseball's fluctuations have, with probably the exception of the '60s, always been within range of of generally of of what I'm happy with. I think that uh, fluctuations in college, particularly, I'm a bit more familiar with, uh, are arguably too artificial and too 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 great mm-hmm. too too great. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that I would like to see. I would not like to see uh, the them the fluctuations be quite so obviously engineered, mm-hmm. if possible. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't want major equipment changes from year to year. Um, yeah, that would that would kind of I don't know that would break the fourth wall almost for me. Yes, of baseball. Well put. Yeah, well put. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I I like the variety, and I hope. I hope we live through multiple pitchers' eras and hitters' eras, uh, even though I like the current era and I'm, I'm happy with the way it is for now. I'd like to, to see the full range of, of baseball-run environments. Um, okay, so send us email addresses at, or emails at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. We will get to some of them on Wednesday, and we'll be back with another show tomorrow.